0: Well, happy Father's Day. I came across a few um, stories as I was preparing for this morning's sermon, and one goes like this. On a brutally hot day, I walked past a miniature golf course and saw a dad with three small children playing miniature golf. They were going from hole to hole. And I asked um, them, I said, who's winning? And one of the young men said, I am. Another kid said, no, I am. And another one said, no, I am winning. And the father turned to this man with sweat just barreling down his face. And he said, their mother is. (laughs) One young lady shared this memory of, of, of her family. The family was viewing old slides. And one flashed on the screen that caught everybody's attention. My father was wearing his favorite golf shirt. And he was holding me in his arms at the precious age of three weeks. The look on his face said it all. There's my prized possession, my father said. Touched, I smiled as he continued, I wonder whatever happened to that golf shirt. Another story, in the frozen foods department of our local grocery store, I saw a man that was shopping with his son. And as I was walking by, I noticed that he was checking off item after item. And he turned to his son and he said, You know, if we really mess this up, we'll never have to do this again. And then the final one is this. Father's Day is the one time of the year when I get complete obedience from every member of my family. I tell them not to spend a lot of money on me, and they don't. (laughs) You know, most people do not realize this, but Father's Day did not become an official holiday until 1972, 58 years after Mother's Day was declared an official holiday. And I don't know what that says, To the fathers in this room, but I know what it says to me, we got robbed. You know, when you look back on your life and you look back on your relationship with your father, some of you in this room have absolutely amazing memories. To this day, you believe that your father hung the moon. Others in this room may not have the same kind of memories of your father. But I want you to know this morning that you can have a relationship with God the Father who did indeed hang the moon. He hung the stars. He hung the sun in place, and he spoke everything into existence. And we have this promise in John one twelve. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Every single person in this room that have repented of their sins and turned to Jesus and trusted Him as their Lord and Savior. You have this promise that God the Father is your Father and you are His Son. That's good news this morning. And I want you to know that if there's nothing else you take out of this room this morning, I pray that it is this, that you can have a relationship with the God of the universe. And he is your heavenly father and you are his child. That's good news this morning. This morning, we're continuing to walk through the book of Matthew together. Our, our our This section of this study we've been looking at is miracles and parables. We're going to read this morning and study of Jesus' great compassion for his creation. And just like Jesus, my prayer is this, that we see the loss just as Jesus sees them. Over the past several weeks, we have looked at how Jesus has demonstrated his authority over disease, over natural disasters, over demons, over sin, over salvation, and over death. And this morning, we're going to read of Jesus' great compassion for his creation. Read with me this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter nine and we're going to read together verses thirty-five through thirty-eight. Matthew chapter nine verses thirty-five through thirty-eight. This is what we read. God's word says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Can you imagine what it would be like to see the world through the eyes of Jesus? This morning, we have an opportunity to do that. We have an opportunity this morning as we study God's word to get a glimpse of how Jesus viewed his creation. Have you ever been so moved with compassion that your heart just broke. It may have occurred when you lost a loved one or when you watched someone grieve the loss of a loved one or as you watched and walked with your children through some of the heartache that they've gone through. I think all of us in this room have experienced such compassion when our heart just breaks in two because of the, the world that we live in. I know just uh, uh, the week before last when we were in New York, um, we were working with the New York Relief Bus. And I've got a picture up here. And as we were working on Wednesday with this ministry, um, I just stood by the bus and I just took a picture of one direction of of the men and women that we were serving that particular day. And I took that picture as a, as a reminder of the lostness that is out in our world today. The vast majority of the men and women that are eating the soup on that street in Chelsea Park um, in, in Manhattan area are lost. They have no clue who Jesus Christ is or they have chosen to reject Christ Christ as opposed to believe in him. I took that picture as a reminder to me of the sheer lostness that is not only in New York, but also around this world. Think about the sheer lostness that is outside of the doors of this church, the lostness that encompasses this county, this state, this nation, and this world there is a sea of lostness out there and you and I have been set apart by God the Father to take the gospel to them. Notice point number 1 this morning. We're going to look at Jesus's public ministry. Jesus's public ministry in verse 35 again, in Matthew chapter 9 we read this, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every Affliction. Three key points to this first point. The first one is this. Notice the size of the cities. According to Jewish historian Josephus, there were as many as 200 cities and villages that made up the area of Galilee. It is possible that the population at this time when Jesus walked this earth in Galilee alone was somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 million people. That's in the region of Galilee. That doesn't count all the other people that lived in Israel at the time. Today, just to give you an idea, there's about 8 million people that live in Israel. So there were um, hundreds of thousands of people that lived in this area during Jesus' day. And today we know that there are millions of people that lived there. What did Jesus do? Notice what Jesus did. Notice his message. Scripture tells us that Jesus went throughout all of the cities and all of the villages teaching and proclaiming the gospel. and healing the people, it is quite possible that Jesus went to all 200 cities and all 200 villages to preach the good news of salvation amongst those that he came in contact with. In Matthew chapter 4, we read of Jesus's message. Jesus went about preaching a message of repentance and preaching a message that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. In Matthew 4:17, we read from that time. Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was making it abundantly clear when he walked the face of this earth that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and the only way that a person could enter into that kingdom was to repent of their sins and declare God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit as Lord and Savior over their life. Jesus said in John 14:6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus made that abundantly clear that there are not 20 roads that lead to heaven. There is only one way that leads to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, the Son. Only through him and a relationship with him are we able to be reconciled to God the Father. Notice also the suffering of the people. A few weeks ago, I shared with you that it was quite possible that there was not a single person left in the region of Galilee that had not been um, healed of their diseases. The lame walked, the blind saw, the mute spoke, the deaf heard. It is quite possible that there was no one left in that region that had not been healed of their affliction. If they had not been healed, it was probably because of one of two reasons. Number one, they didn't want to be healed. Or number two, they had no one to take them to Jesus to be healed if, they're, if they had um, the, uh, unable to walk or whatever the case might be. Understand this today, that there is only one reason that a person does not enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ today. It is because they have chosen not to believe in Jesus for salvation. That is why it is so important that you and I go and preach the good news of salvation amongst those that we come in contact with so that they have the opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice our second point this morning. When Jesus looked out over the crowd, he had compassion for them. Notice Jesus's. Compassion. In verse 36, we read, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. This word compassion comes from the Greek word splagnisomai, which comes from the word splagnos, meaning the inward parts, especially the heart the lungs, the liver, and the kidney. These organs are known as the seat of affections. The kind of compassion that Jesus experienced when he saw the crowd was a deep pity for them, a hurting for them, a hurting that was, that was in the the pit of his stomach. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever experienced such heartache? It may have been because of the loss of a loved one. It may have been because of a a tragic event that had happened in your life. Or it may have been just because of your surrounding, that when this event occurred, your stomach hurt. There was a Hurting in the pit of your stomach as a result of what you experienced. That is the picture we have of Jesus as as he looked out over the crowd. He was moved with compassion. His stomach literally hurt because of the sea of lostness that was within his eyesight. He was moved with compassion because of his great love. For his creation, notice christ's love. We know that Christ loved his creation because he burst into human human creation he burst into human history to provide a way for you and I to be reconciled to God the Father. Notice what John 3.16, let's just say this together up here on the, on the board. Read with me John 3.16 out loud. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God sent Jesus to this earth to provide a way for all of human, every human in history to be reconciled to himself. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 we read, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ's love for us is unconditional. It is a sacrificial love. Love. He loves you and he loves me and he loves this world. He loves those outside of the doors of this church with an unconditional kind of love. When Jesus looked out over the crowd on this day, his stomach hurt because he had compassion because of man's condition. Notice our second subpoint: man's condition. Jesus saw a sea of of lostness. He saw a group of people that had been harassed and they were helpless. He says they were like sheep without a shepherd. The crowd did have spiritual leaders. They were called Pharisees, Sadducees and scribes. The problem was those religious leaders were not leading people to heaven, but they were leading people straight into the pits of hell. We read in Zechariah 2 through three, for the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wonder like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. Pastor Stephen Cole wrote this, Jesus saw lost people as sheep without a shepherd. The Jewish religious leaders should have been shepherding these people, pointing them to God. But instead, they were self righteous and self seeking, looking down on the common people as sinners. They were fleecing the flock, not shepherding them with compassion. They viewed the people as a bother, but Jesus viewed them as sheep needing a shepherd. Think about the world that we live in today. Today, there are over 7.5 billion people that live on this planet, 7.5 billion people. It is estimated, and this is a very, very liberal estimation in my opinion, that there are 2.5 billion Christians that live on this planet today. That means that there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 billion people without a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is a tragic number. That is a scary number when you think about it. You wonder why this world is in utter chaos. You wonder why there is war, why there are suicide bombers, why why you have lone gunmen that open fire on crowds of people. It is because we live in a broken world. And just as Jesus looked out over the sea of lostness, so should you and I. We should have compassion for people because they are like sheep without a shepherd in desperate need of Jesus Christ. When we turn the TV on and we see tragedy everywhere, we should have a hurt in the pit of our stomach over the sheer lostness of the people outside of the doors of this church. Jesus responded with compassion because he saw the sheer lostness of men. He recognized that they did not have a spiritual leader. He said that they were sheep without a shepherd. Have you ever wondered why Jesus called people sheep? Um, Several years ago, um, I preached a message here and I I shared a little bit about sheep. Um, Sheep are foolish. Sheep are slow to learn. Sheep are unattractive. Sheep are demanding. Sheep are stubborn. Sheep are strong-willed. Sheep are straying. Sheep are unpredictable. Sheep are copycats. Sheep are restless. Sheep are dependent. And sheep are the same everywhere, everywhere, regardless of what part of the world you live in or visit. There's a reason that Jesus used these characteristics to describe that crowd and the reason he uses that, those characteristics to describe us. Because we are not the sharpest people at times, are we? We do some really crazy, undisciplined, ungodly things at times in our lives. When Jesus looked out over this crowd, not only did he see um, um, the, the, the helplessness of the people, he also recognized that they were seeking satisfaction in all of the wrong places. You and I, can never find satisfaction outside of a relationship with God the Father. We read in John 14, John four fourteen. Jesus said this, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus also said in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And in Psalm 107.9 we read, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Jesus looked out over the crowd and realized that they were hungering and thirsting for the things of this world that would never satisfy them. The reason Jesus burst into human history is to point people into a relationship with God the Father and provide a relationship for us to have with him so that we could find our satisfaction in him and only in him. Notice our final point this morning. It is this, Jesus' commissioning. We read in verses 37 through 38, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. C. H. Spurgeon, the great theologian and pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church of London, once said this of Matthew 38. He said that this verse weighed more on his heart than any other text in the Bible. He said it haunted him perpetually. I think this verse needs to haunt us as well. There is a sea of lostness outside of the doors of this church, and we must take the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Notice first what Jesus said. He said this of the harvest. He said the harvest is plenty Full. You know, I love driving the countryside this time of year. I love watching the farmer prepare the crown, the ground for for the seed, and then watching that seed grow into whatever it is going to be. I especially love watching wheat grow grow. There's just something magical about watching wheat right before it is ready to be harvested. When you see the heads of that wheat that as the wind blows, it just kind of dances in the wind. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you know, I'm not a farmer. I have a black thumb. I, I don't have a green thumb, but I can recognize a a, a crop that is ready to be harvested. And And um, I love watching wheat right before it is ready to be harvested. I believe that as Jesus looked out over this crowd, he saw a group of people just like um, a field of wheat. He saw that group of people and he recognized that it was time for the harvest. The men and women and students and children that represented that group that day, Jesus recognized that they were ready to come to a relationship with him. The problem was the harvest was ripe. It was ready for the picking, but the laborers were few. Notice what Jesus says of the laborers. He says just that. The harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. There were not enough people to bring in the harvest. Our harvest is time-sensitive. If it is not brought in at the right time, it will over-ripen and it will spoil. The lost outside of the doors of this church, their salvation is time-sensitive as well. Those we have contact with on a daily basis... They are not guaranteed tomorrow, just like you and I are not guaranteed tomorrow. Therefore, their salvation is time sensitive. The harvest that is outside of this door is time sensitive. But the problem is the laborers are few. One day, each and every person will take their final breath on this side of eternity. For those that know Christ, they will experience eternity with Christ in heaven. For those that choose to deny Christ, they will spend eternity separated from, from Christ in a place called hell. Jesus could only do so much alone. So as we will look at next week, what Jesus does is he commissions his 12 to go. And later on in the Gospels, we read of Jesus commissioning 72 others to go and preach the good news of salvation. And then right before Jesus ascends to take his rightful place next to God the Father in heaven, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. All of us in this room have been commissioned by God the Father to go and preach the gospel. Not only have we been called to go and preach, we have also been called to go and make disciples, to equip people so that they in turn can go and equip other People. It is a ripple effect that began the moment that Jesus ascended to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit came and dwelt on the 120 in the upper room and they went out into the streets and began preaching. Peter preached that first message. 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then every single day, people were being added to the kingdom of God. To this day, the greater church, daily, people are being added to the kingdom. The problem still is the same. Today, as as it was then. There are not enough laborers. There are not enough people that are going into this world and preaching the good news of salvation amongst those that they come in contact with. Notice the final thing here. It is this. Notice the preparation. Jesus said in verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What are we instructed to do here? We are instructed to pray. And what are we to pray for? We are to pray for laborers. We are to pray for more people that will rise up and take the gospel to the nations. We are to pray for men and women in our church and within the greater church to rise up and accept the commissioning from Jesus to go. We need to be praying For next week, for Vacation Bible School. There's probably going to be close to 100 kids or more that will be on this campus for four days, Monday through Thursday. We need to be praying for every single child that's going to be on this campus. A, if they don't know Jesus, that they will come to know Jesus. And B, we need to pray for them that they will one day rise up and take the good news of salvation to their friends, to their families, to the nations. We need to be praying for God to, to raise up leaders at VBS. We need to pray for God to raise up leaders in our student ministry, in our children's ministry, and across our congregation. Because if we want to see the lost come to know Jesus, then we have to go and take the gospel to them. All of us have been instructed to go. We have all been called to go. And we must pray as a church and for one another that all of us will rise up and take the gospel to this city, to this county, to this state, to this nation, and to this world. We must go. Not thinking about the cost to ourselves, but thinking about all of those that will die an eternal death without Jesus if we fail to go. I came across this illustration um, from Chuck Colson on sacrificial love. It, it, it goes like this. Chuck Colson told the story of a group of American prisoners of war during the Second World War who were made to do hard labor in prison camp each had a shovel and would dig all day long. And then they were to come in and give an account for each of their tools. One evening, 20 prisoners were lined up by the guard and their shovels were counted. The guard counted 19 shovels instead of 20. And he demanded of every prisoner, he demanded to know which one failed to bring their shovels back and no one responded. And so this guard said, If you don't tell me who did not bring their shovel back, I will kill five of you immediately. And after a moment of tense silence, a nineteen year old soldier stepped forward, with his head bowed down. The guard grabbed him, took him to the side, and and, and shot him. And then he turned to warn the others that they better be more careful than he was. When that guard left, those men counted the shovels, and they counted 20 of them. The guard had miscounted, and the boy had given his life for his friends. 1 John three sixteen, we read, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That is love. That is a picture of sacrificial love. That is a picture of the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated when he dwelt among us, when he went to the cross, and when he rose from the dead. It is a sacrificial love. We should have that same kind of love for others. We should be willing to take the gospel to them regardless of the cost. In Acts chapter 17, verses 2 through 6, we read, And when Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Let's be world changers. Let's be men and women that turn this world upside down for Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to do that on a daily basis. We have that opportunity as a faith family to do that next week during Vacation Bible School, or this week during Vacation Bible School. We had an opportunity to do that the week before last in New York. We got a team in just a matter of weeks that will be going to Ecuador to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Let's turn the world upside down. Let's point people to Jesus Christ. Let's be aware on a daily basis that the harvest is ripe for the picking. Problem is the church is not rising up and taking the gospel to the world. Let's also realize that the harvest is time sensitive. There is a small window set aside to harvest. For some people that do not respond to Jesus on this side of eternity, they will spend eternity separated from God in hell. But you and I have the opportunity to take the gospel to them and to give them an opportunity to respond to Jesus. Let's be world changers. Let's turn the world upside down. Let's recognize that the harvest is ripe for the picking, and let's go and preach the good news to the masses. Let's stand together, and we're going to have a time of invitation. If you are here this morning, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you were to die today, and you do not know where you would spend eternity, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to repent of your sins, And cry out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And make a commitment that you're going to live for him and not for this world. If you don't know Jesus, in just a moment, we're going to pray. And when I say amen, I invite you to come and respond to Jesus. You may be here this morning and you've been visiting this church for a while and you haven't joined this church. I invite you this morning to come and make friendship your church home. I don't know what decision you need to make. But let's pray together, and when we say amen, you respond. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity just to open up your word together as a faith family. Father, we know, Lord Jesus, that the harvest is plentiful. That the wheat is ripe for picking. Problem is, there's not enough people that are going bring in the harvest. Father God, we pray, Lord Jesus, and I pray, Lord Jesus, for every one of us in this room, that we will be obedient to the Great Commission, and that we will go and preach the good news of salvation amongst those that we come in contact with. And Father, I also pray this morning, Lord, that if there is someone here this morning that has never repented of their sins, and trusted in you as Lord and Savior that this morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. And Father, if there's some here this morning that have yet to join this faith family, Lord, we invite them to come be a part of this amazing church. Father, thank you for the privilege it is to pastor this church, to be a part of this church. But Father, I pray that we will not just be a a group of people that assemble together inside of a building up on a hill in Fairview, Texas. But I pray that we will be a group of people that come together to be discipled, to be equipped, to worship you, and to celebrate life with, you, with one another. And then we will be a church that scatters across this world. Father, may we be obedient to the Great Commission. Father, thank you again for this morning. And Lord, now during this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that you will stir within each one of our hearts, how we should respond to this message and how we should respond to you. For it's in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.